Hi everyone and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck, I'm host of the Chronicles and my day job is Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council for Australia and New Zealand. Welcome to episode 70 of the Chronicles. We're going to be talking 5G today, um, very topical at the moment, um, but has for some time and will continue to be. Uh, and joining me um, for this discussion is Jeff Hayden from Astrolabe Group, one of our uh, member companies. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be here, Adam. Hi. Um, Jeff, let's start with a, uh, a bit of an orientation of who you are and, and what you do. Can you share a bit of a bio for us, please? Yeah, by all means. Um, yeah, as you said, I, I'm an associate at Astrolabs, where we do a lot of consulting around smart cities in many different dimensions of smart city work. But my particular area of interest is all things to do with the Internet of Things, technologies, and how they translate across into uh, business models and in particular how data flows and how we take maximum benefit um, and innovation from the sharing of data while protecting uh, everybody's rights and personal things. Um, I also am a telecommunications uh, engineer by, by trade and I've been in the business for over 40 years, um, mostly working with um, the technology providers into the telco market. Uh, so Telstra, Optus and Vodafone have been the customers I've been involved with most of my working life. And um, and as a result of that, I've been really interested and very involved with all things to do with broadband, both fixed and mobile, um, and understand most of the technologies associated with that fairly, fairly well. Um, I also chair the uh, Platforms and Interoperability Workgroup within the Internet of Things Alliance in Australia. And uh, on top of that, I chair the Standards Australia work on IoT and the Australian Computer Society's work on data sharing. So um, you can imagine that if you put all those bits together, it basically is all about smart cities and the technical implications um, on, on smart cities. That's me. And Jeff, thanks for that. Um, your... Um, uh, your recent uh, involvement around 5G is is pretty uh, is pretty sort of um, leading if I can sort of put it that way the work with city of Melbourne um, but but today's topic around 5g we're going to discuss this report that's just been published by the government it's called the next gen future it's the inquiry into the deployment adoption and application of 5g in Australia by the House of representatives um your your sort of interaction with this work can you sort of share uh, what that was yeah by all means um well i've, I've been involved in all, all of the technologies associated with smart cities and that includes all of the different um, sensor networking technologies like LoRaWAN and sigfox and um, various narrowband iot and lte technologies that the mobile carriers uh, deployed um, and when 5G started to emerge as an option and the deployment really did start, then I, um, I found myself in an interesting position of being asked by a number of city councils to help them understand what 5G really is and how it's different from 4G and how it positions differently compared to the other um, unlicensed spectrum radio technologies, which is something we can potentially talk a little bit about today as well, if you want to. But um, as a result of that, I got engaged by the City of Melbourne to help develop 
their strategy around their um, 5G testbed initiative um, and have since provided some advice to the City of Sydney on the same subject. So uh, I'm finding that local governments, particularly in the major cities, are starting to get pretty interested in the implications of 5G and what it means to, to their communities, um, mostly because they're very motivated to see their cities take on new technologies and really lead. But at the same time, they want to be very careful that what they um, deliver offers um, citizens um, an improved quality of experience in the whole community, not just on their mobiles. 5G, uh, let, let's get stuck into this, Jeff. 5G is quite an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, we've got the, um, you know, the, the, the promise of, of sort of lightning quick, you know, speed. Um, but also with all of those benefits, and we'll unpack those benefits, um, we've got a very different kind of physical landscape, don't we, when it comes to uh, the, the the sort of the the equipment that's needed to sort of power this uh, this very low latency sort of you know tech technology, you know, so four G big towers sort of off there in the distance, tucked behind buildings, so on and so forth. 5G really brings the, the tech part really down to a pedestrian level and in the street, doesn't it? Well, part of it does. I mean, one of, one of the really difficult things about 5G is that it isn't really like any of the other generations um, because it really is three different radio spectrum bands being used for three rather different things. Uh, whereas each of the other previous generations, each operated in a particular Part of the radio spectrum and did what that radio spectrum was capable of doing whereas 5g actually has three bands it has a, a low frequency band a, a mid band and a very very high frequency band and the bit that you're referring to where those antennas get really down into the street is the very very high frequency band um, and that's that stuff is where the very very high bandwidth is and where very very short distances operate um, so those antennas for that part of the network will be only a couple of hundred metres apart at best in, in downtown environments um, and unlikely to potentially get deployed anywhere else because that's where it will be needed um, in the densest parts of the cities. But the, the tricky part about this is that all the carriers who are busy now upgrading their 4G towers to 5G are talking about 5G like that's the story. Um, the story is we're upgrading 4G to 5G, just don't worry about it. But that really is only the mid-band part of mm. 5G. Mm. Um, and there's another whole band, which is still not really allocated in Australia, which is in lower frequency, which is really great for very long range sensor networking type applications. Um, because as you go down in frequency, the distance you can send the signals goes up dramatically. Mm. And, um, and so you've got three different functions. And, and sadly, the marketing engines behind 5G lump all the benefits of all three parts of that spectrum together and say, wow, 5G can do everything. Well, indeed, that's true, but only if you have all three networks built and operating in, in any particular area. Um, Jeff, on that issue, let, let, let's sort of start there and, and pull it apart a little bit around just the, the, the communication piece. And, and sorry, pardon the pun, when I say communication, yeah. I mean the messaging and the narrative and what it is and its benefits and things like that. Yeah. Um, this this report um, 
when you when you read through it, you know, certainly a comprehensive summary of the, the, the evidence and the, the submissions. I mean, there was over, I mean, I'm just, I'm just sort of flicking through it now. In I think there was me. over 500, there was 538 I counted at the end of the report. Yeah, 538 submissions. So um, we, we've got everything from, from big corporate technology companies to sort of Mr. and Mrs. Jones and a whole range of sort of NGOs. Uh, we've got state government in there. Um, so, so look, a lot of interests from many sectors and many parts of the world. Um, in reading through the report, um, wow, I mean, there is just such a diversity of, of interpretations, concerns. Um, I almost feel like in some instances, you know, the, the benefits are getting lost and drowned out with um, su such an extensive array of, of sort of perceptions um, and, uh, and and realities there. I mean, this is a really, I'm not a communications expert, neither of us are, but this is a really tough one, isn't it? Well, it is. And the, the thing that makes it so difficult is that the underlying things that need to be built as a marketing story are indeed very complicated. And uh, I have found myself uh, in many cases, explaining to people in, in local government, not just what is 5G, but what is 2G, 3G, 4G, and why is it different? And what's, what's TV broadcasting and what's radio broadcasting and how do all these different things fit together? Because they're all, I mean, once you start peeling that onion, you, you end up um, having to explain a great deal to explain why 5G is a little different um, because it is buried in a lot of technical detail and a lot of technical jargon which makes it very inaccessible for people who just are concerned or just want to know what's it going to do for them. You know, it's very difficult to explain um, those important differences without getting a little bit technical about some issues. Uh, Jeff, let's have this conversation um, under, the, under the sort of assumption that our core audience here is sort of cities and municipalities and, and local government. Um, a, a sort of a primary audience. Um, one thing, just just off the back of what you've said there, you know, one thing that um, is starting to become somewhat a little clearer, and of course I'm just, you know, speaking about myself, so sort of somewhat of an educated person, is that the health risks seem to be getting clearer or lack of in that, our federal government has started posting up some clear information on government websites. Um, let's let's sort of just think about you know um, providing some advice to sort of the mayor of a city or some uh, elected officials of a city. Um, we, we whilst the perception may not be the, the same, uh, the reality is that it seems like the the health risks. Uh, are somewhat uh, minor when I read into this. Yeah, well, the, 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 the challenge is because there are three different bands that 5G occupies, there's three different answers. Um, and when you try and summarise that up and do a, 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 a 10 second grab of what that story represents, then you can't actually represent all three. So the simple answer is the, the lower band um, is really not an issue uh, at all because there's been many many things operating in similar power in similar bands for decades and decades and there's really 
no concern there at all from anybody. The mid-band, which is where 4G is today operating, 5G will be largely the same. So mm. if you're not terribly concerned about 4G, you have no right to be concerned about 5G. However, the third band, the very, very high frequency band, is a new band um, that hasn't been used for this sort of stuff in the past. And therefore, there are some additional questions. Now, the higher and higher you go in frequency, the closer and closer you get to um, the, the damaging rays, you know, the ionizing rays, um, like X-rays and, um, and, and nuclear reaction type waves and those sorts of things. Now, people, it's still a, a long, long way from those things, but it's just heading up towards that end of the spectrum. And, uh, and in fact, uh, between that and all of those ugly things, is sunlight and we, we we're reasonably comfortable operating with sunlight <laughs> mm, mm. Um, the frequencies that it's operating at are even higher again than the, the 5g um, high band frequencies and you know the sun does probably more damage per capita than any other technology <laughs> by far yeah and we kind of accept that because we really don't have a choice so um, that millimeter band radio the high-end stuff uh, look, there's no reports that I've come across at all that suggest there's any problem. And there's no evidence at all that says that there's a definitive problem. But it's a new area and new areas cause new concerns. And um, without a long history of experience in those bands, um, one can't really argue definitively that it's there is no problem because we'll only know that in 10 or 20 years time. Yeah. The the report, Jeff, um, tables 14 key recommendations. Yeah. Recommendation 10 and 11 certainly speak to this issue around health. Uh, recommendation 10 is that the committee recommends that Arpanza implement a suitable mechanism to consult with members of the community regarding the safe levels of electro electromagnetic radiation. And 11 speaks to the establishment of a new information campaign for 5G, uh, so that it's integrated and comprehensive. Respond to concerns about the new network. So, so that 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 that's their solid recommendations. What's your take from the from the health and safety perspective? Do you think the report does what it should have done? You happy with those? Not well, enough? Too much? Yeah, well, what are your views? Bear in mind that. Um probably in excess of half, in fact, probably closer to two thirds of all the submissions were on concerns about safety and health. Mm, mm. Um, and about half of those were anonymously uh, attributed. Yeah. So one, one can't put a lot of story in all of that, but the fact is that by far, it was the biggest issue that was raised during this, this um, whole inquiry. And so the government's got no choice but to try and address it. Uh, 5G is happening worldwide, um, and certainly the 5G that's replacing 4G um, isn't going to be any worse from a health point of view than 4G was. And one one can only say that history now says 4G is not a problem, uh, and therefore in the same bands 5G won't be. But these recommendations, they kind of imply that there is no problem. All we've got to do is get good at telling people there's no problem. And, yeah, that yeah, that's uh, an interesting one, isn't it? It it, yeah. it did sort of it did sort of you know hint at that in those recommendations, which is it's fine. Let's communicate that. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, it's what's really bizarre about this is that it's not the big ugly towers that are the problem. It's the handset 
Well, I mean, there, there is no problem, right? There, there's no evidence that really is genuinely scientific that says it, it hurts humans in any way. But the, but the radiation that is the biggest risk to humans, if there is indeed any at all, is what comes out of the handset back to the transmitter, back to the tower, not the stuff coming from the tower to you. Mm -hmm. and, um, and all of the things that you do to shield yourself means that your phone turns its power up to the maximum to overcome that, to get the signal back to the tower. So ironically, the things that people try and do to minimise the radiation from the handset actually make it worse. And yet those people are not getting sick either. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's a whole lot of misconceptions around this. I mean, I, my favourite thing is when people think that they can wear an aluminium skull cap so that they can protect <laughs> themselves well i can tell you that the rim of the aluminium skull cap is the best antenna on the planet yeah yeah <laughs> and you know so it's just it's just silly some yeah. of the some of the things that people translate into concerns but you know one of the things that does change with that very high band 5g is that the signal no longer just radiates like a sprinkle hose shooting water out in all directions. It now starts to be a very, very focused beam to every phone that's connected to that network and in, in use at that moment. And that very focused beam means you do get a lot more energy aiming it at each phone that's in use at, at the time it's being used. Um, and even that is considered um, well under the power that would be considered dangerous. So, um, and even that, that arbitrary decision to make a dangerous level was not done because we know for sure that there's a problem if you exceed that. It's just there is nothing that indicates there is a problem. So they've set an arbitrary limit and said, well, we all feel pretty comfortable at this level and let's live with that. Even at that level, these things are still getting nowhere near that level, um, even with that what's called beamforming, you know, the idea of targeting individual phones with a signal. So, you know, that we're we're really, I think, um, going to put a lot of resources out of those recommendations into trying to tell people that it's not a problem. My fear is that the more we say it's not a problem, the more people will worry that it's a big problem. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and, and part of the best answer might be to say nothing, but then that's unacceptable too, because you can see already with these submissions how many people are worried about it. And, and you know, the, the, there's just, uh, in, in, in some way, this is an underlying uh, issue around trust right you know yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and lack of and um australia's got a bit of a checkered history when it comes to technology and rollouts and and community trust but um let's let's not go down that uh that rabbit hole today um one one thing that um is a legitimate concern and i want to i want to move on to this topic now and it's addressed in a couple of the recommendations um as uh, as i'm sure you've heard I've heard multiple times that cities uh, are very keen to get the 5G service, but not the clutter that comes with it. Yeah. And yeah. and there's a number of recommendations in here that kind of talk to this idea uh, for me around sort of, um, you know, multi-user infrastructure sharing, um, you know, maximising opportunities to to sort of coordinate and, and, and cluster as opposed to sort of, you know, it, it, it's on for everyone, um, you know, and it, and it just becomes a, a real estate grab for where you can sort of put an antenna or a small cell. Um, you know, this is a really interesting one, isn't it, Jeff, around this yeah. idea of all the telcos playing nicely, let's all sort of neatly line up everyone's gear on, you know, one or two poles. 
um, combined with what seems to be a bit of momentum behind the scenes of cities, those cities that get this and are somewhat entrepreneurial are sort of mobilizing in a way to potentially get their own infrastructure in place where they can then either lease out or in some way, you know, be at the table when it comes to sort of co-locating and things like that. Un unpack, unpack for me this issue around the clutter yeah, uh, no, that, and, 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 and how we, yeah, how we think this, like, uh, is this just a fanciful idea that we think there can be a concerted effort to collaborate uh, and share when it comes to the deployment of the, the, the gear and the kit, particularly, I suppose I'm talking about um, that equipment that, that really needs to be down in the public realm on the sidewalk and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Look, it, it, this, this is a really tricky subject because there is as much politics, revenue and marketing as there is technical in this discussion. And, mm. and because of that, um, there is no simple answer. Um, the, the technology part of me wants to say, 5G is designed for infrastructure sharing. Sharing radio and sharing antennas is the way the whole standard for 5G has been designed. It's entirely possible and entirely practical to connect one base station with one antenna to three different carriers networks and have them treat that one base station like it's within their own network. Mm. Um, now that's, that's a great piece of very sophisticated design that does enable it. Um, and that is the sort of thing that would really benefit particularly regional Australia where a lot of a lot of 5G will take a decade to get to and not even get to everybody even then. Um, now, there's lots of benefit that can come from splitting the cost of, of that sort of infrastructure between all the carriers and having them all offer similar services in those regional areas where today none of them can really afford to go there on their own, so they don't. Um, and that that's going to be an issue. But on the other side of it, um, the carriers have got great stories um, that are designed to show how impractical it is to do this sort of sharing. You know, I know that at least one of the big telcos will immediately say, look, um, the only way that our service can be the quality that we insist on is if we, we occupy at least uh, more than half of the capacity of that, of that base station. And as a result, there isn't enough room for the others to share effectively. Well, mm. uh, you know, and to some extent they have a point, um, but the real answer to me is that, uh, well, the real, my observation of this, it suggests that telcos really only ever market two things about mobile. They offer, uh, they say they've got the best coverage in a particular region and they say they've got the best performance. Mm. The more you share, the less you can say either of those two things. Mm. Um, and that leaves them with very little excitement to, to market. Um, and, and, so, and, and is that still the same with 5G? Is, is that, yeah. Does that ring true for 5G over 4G as well? Yeah, it, it, it really does because, well, just think about in, in when we get to this, uh, the small cells that, that come with the very high band that I was talking about earlier, the, the very high band where we get very, very high bandwidth um, services available. Um, those antennas are going to have to be for each carrier one to 200 metres apart. So if we've got three separate sets of them, 
we're going to, on average, have an antenna every 50 metres or so in every direction in every city. Um, and that, no matter what you say, that's a bit of an eyesore. And they also expect to put those antennas pretty close to the ground so that they can reach the people where they are, which is largely walking around on the ground. Mm. Uh, that means that things like, uh, I mean, the, the point about that frequency band is that almost everything physically gets in the way of that signal. If you don't have line of sight to that little antenna, and it's not an imposing antenna, the issue is there's just lots of them. And uh, if you don't have line of sight to that antenna, you don't get a signal. So if there's a tree in the way, you won't get a signal. If there's a small building in the way, you won't get a, a signal. If it's just around the corner, you won't get a signal. You know, there's, there's real challenges with that frequency. It doesn't traverse through buildings or glass or anything. If you want 5G at those frequencies in your building, you'll have to put a base station inside the building. And they look like Wi-Fi hotspots. They're not terrifying, ugly, large infrastructure things, but there'll be just so many of them. Mm. You multiply it with three carriers, plus private networks that get built to, to handle indoor coverage from time to time, plus the people who want to share their infrastructure and deploy their own and try and make it available to others. I mean, we could end up with antennas like standing on the street. You might be able to look up and see a dozen of them from any given location in a city. And one of the things that I have been doing a lot of work with um, Melbourne City Council on is could we actually get the radio planning done on a precinct basis in the city rather than one antenna at a time, which is what happens today. Um, in the old days with previous generations of mobile, it was possible to plan a location and the next antenna would be a couple of kilometers away. And so you plan them one at a time. Yeah. But in this model, because there'll be so many of them and so close together, uh, it's pretty sensible to think about, okay, let's plan a precinct, maybe uh, a, a half a kilometer square or something. And let's decide where we're going to put all 20 of the antennas and let's get permissions and approvals and work that out with the city as a plan for a precinct rather than throwing a hundred applications at them over the fence, one every day for the next three months um, and try and get that to make sense, which it, which it clearly doesn't. Jeff, you've mentioned the, the, the sort of the test bed and the piloting work, exploratory work that city of Melbourne has been doing. And I think it's fair to say that um, that's sort of a, 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 a national best practice kind of approach there, if, if not internationally. Um, recommendation 14 in the report um, talks about uh, working with carriers to, to develop campaigns to boost industry awareness about the advantages of 5G to business. It then, in its sort of last sentence, says this campaign should include elements to lift 5G awareness within yeah. local local government. You know, you've got leaders like City of Melbourne, you know, City of Brisbane City Council starting to play in it. But but look, 530 plus local authorities in Australia, do you feel, this is a bit of a, a point blank question, but do you feel that local government on average in Australia understands or is ready for this? No, I, I can say unequivocally that none of them are really ready for what's going to happen. But at least the top half a dozen uh, are going to lead the way and the rest will watch and learn, I think. Mm. But, the, but the tricky thing here is that what happens in downtown cities is just not going to be the same as what happens in regional parts of the country. Yeah, yeah. We may never see the millimetre wave bands used anywhere other than 
downtown CBDs. Mm. And that could mean that the sorts of services that we get the benefit of in the city just simply won't be available in regional Australia. And that, that in many ways worries me more than most of the other issues. Um, if we don't get fairly ubiquitous coverage, um, then it's hard to take the full benefit. Um, one of the, you know, because we spent a lot of time talking about smart city initiatives, um, almost all smart city initiatives result in deploying sensors to gather data. And the technologies used to do that, 5G is just one, there's a dozen useful technologies, they'll all be useful and they'll all be used. But what isn't so obvious is how does all that information that gets gathered get processed and returned back to people so that they can make better decisions, which is the whole point of doing it in the first place. People need information back at them so that they can augment their, their decision-making. They can get new information and they can make decisions. Well, if they don't have great mobile coverage to get that information back to where they are at any given time, then a lot of those service ideas will simply not be that well embraced. Imagine a farmer you know, out in the middle of a paddock with no mobile coverage, hoping that um, he's got real-time data coming from all the sensors deployed on his property, and that works fine, but he has to go back to the farmhouse um, and, and download stuff overnight, potentially, to, uh, to see what today he should have been doing um, or, or to help him make a decision that he might need to make today. That, that mobile coverage um, isn't there today with 4G, and that's 10 years after 4G started being deployed. Uh, a lot of those people are sadly still on 3G. And the same will apply with 5G. It's going to take a decade to deploy and it won't go everywhere unless there are some of these sharing ideas embraced and we actually can get more coverage for more of the population. Jeff, that, um, that whole issue around benefits of 5G and you, know, you, you sort of rightly sort of reference data there, um, I, I, I felt the report, I'd be keen to know your views, I felt the report kind of maybe missed an opportunity to really get into that. I know the, 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 the outweighing of the number of submissions around sort of the negative impacts and health obviously played a part, but, um, you know, as an advocate for sort of this, uh, this sort of communication technology, the Smart, City, Smart Cities Council thinks that there's some some amazing benefits here. Can, can I ask you, uh, A, uh, how do you feel the report left us in terms of, uh, you know, benefits and opportunities, but, but can you then speak to what data looks like in the 5G world and what some of those benefits might be? And again, you know, speaking to an audience, you know, at, at, a, at a local government level about how, uh, how they might... Um, might sort of benefit from some of those uh, opportunities that might come. Can I can I ask you that double-barreled question? Yeah, it's a, that's a that's a biggie. Well, in fact, both of them are biggies, which mm. means we could be on this call for hours. <laughs> not <laughs> to do that. Um, look, there is there is some interesting issues here. One is that um, the report itself was intended to be about five G as a mobile network. Now, one of, the, one of the odd things about this is that that pigeonholing as 5G as mobile network already distorts the story. Because one of the, one of the interesting um, processes that 5G can deliver on 
is the ability to seamlessly manage services between fixed broadband and mobile broadband, which in the past hasn't been the case with the other mobile technologies. So 5G can um, provide a service to you and I where what we would buy is a, is a connection service which has some benefits and how it gets delivered over 5G or our broadband fixed connection and through Wi-Fi um, could be seamless and could be done in a way that gives us a lot of benefit and a lot less complexity in the way we manage our services. Um, but by defining 5G as a mobile technology, you don't even get to talk about that element of mm. how this can bring the mobile and the fixed networks together in a seamless way such that we all get great benefits out of the new service concepts that come from that ability. So that's already kind of a, a distortion of the, of the story. Um, the other thing that I think is a funny distortion of the story is that, um, yeah, in fact, if you look at the report, you'll find that the Internet of Things Alliance um, was interviewed on the last day of the last visit to um, to the market for this report. And as a result, um, Frank Zuckman, the CEO of the uh, IoT Alliance and I are the last two people identified on the very last page of the report as people that they spoke to as input to this. And it occurred to me uh, when, I, when I spotted that, that anything that we said, if we're the only ones who said it, and there is, you know, 538 submissions, if, if you only hear something from one source, it will be filtered away as uh, just one person's rant or one, one issue that perhaps nobody else cared about. But in fact, sometimes those one issues that pop up from all the various people who would have been interviewed might be all the really important ones that just aren't well enough understood um, outside of that particular person's expertise to, to latch on to it and hear that it's... Um, but, you know, so what I'm trying to say is if you've got 300 people complaining about safety and health, then that's a big issue. If you've got, and I know that I spoke in that um, inquiry uh, interview about this issue of gathering a sense of data and how do you get it all back to the users? Well, I, if nobody else talked about that, it doesn't get a Guernsey in the report. And I think it's one of the most important issues of all. But um, it's, it's not a strong contender for where recommendations are being made that I could see when I read it anyway. Mm. So I think there is that challenge that with such a swamp of information being requested and being concerned about health um, and the various other things that people understand about 4G and therefore when we talk about it at 5G, um, don't really bring out the naturally new and exciting differences that in fact 5G can potentially deliver. Um, and you combine that with the marketing story from all the telcos who simply want to make it very, very simple and say 4G is great, 5G is better, and we're deploying 5G, so go buy your 5G devices and everything's great. Um, that's kind of their simple message. And there's a lot of detail buried underneath that, which is, which is not something that uh, anybody has been concerned about yet. But I, I, I really do think that... Um, if we don't have consistency of 5G delivered across the country, then the sorts of services that would be valuable in one place and not available in another might make them less valuable to us all as a community. And the sorts of things, and to, to answer the second part of your question, um, the, the sorts of things I'm, I'm thinking about here are the very bandwidth intensive services that we will all start to take advantage of. And they're going to be um, largely around 
um, leveraging artificial intelligence to, to help decision making and augmenting reality type things to enhance any experience that we might have, you know, and those experiences range from I'm, I'm a, a field service technician working on some complex repair out in the field where I don't have resources other than what I was able to bring in my van, um, I might be able to um, literally look at a piece of electronics in the field and have uh, a remote assistant, which might be artificially intelligent, um, guide me through a very, very sophisticated repair process to identify the fault and know how, what to do about fixing it, which would dramatically improve not only the time to repair, but also reduce the waste. You know, most people repair things today by ripping out the most obvious components, throwing them away and putting new ones in. And if that doesn't fix it, do it to the next obvious component. And if that didn't fix it, the next one. That creates an awful lot of waste and, uh, and an awful lot of inefficiency and an awful lot of cost. Whereas a, a very guided piece of repair with real expertise behind it means that the field service guy may be able to do a very precision repair uh, through guidance and accuracy that saves everybody time and money. Um, and that's just one trivial example that I, I can quickly explain. But there are many, many others. You know, the idea of visiting visiting a city and, and not just trying to navigate through a map, but being being guided to a particular kind of uh, location that might be of particular interest to you because of your particular background and interest in whatever subject you might be interested in, whether it be music or, or fine arts or, or goodness knows what. Um, there's lots and lots of those sorts of service ideas that are starting to uh, be developed in, um, in markets where there is ubiquitous broadband available. But you can imagine how tricky it would be is if I, as a user who spent most of my time in, in the city, got very comfortable using an application like that, had a reason to visit a, a regional area which didn't have it, and I might might not be able to function very effectively mm. because I've gotten so used to having the advanced tools at my disposal. Um, now, that, that might sound uh, like most most people my age would simply say, well, you know, don't be an idiot, learn how to do it properly in the first place. And But but it isn't like that. You know, you, you, you get... You use the tools you have available. We, we use now um, video conferencing tools, you know, eight hours a day at least. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. How we do that when we're out and about will get easier and easier and more and more integrated. We now control the screen that sits behind us in our video conference so we can sit in our bedroom and look like we're sitting on the, the moon if we want to. Everybody's doing that all of a sudden with their video conferencing tools. These sorts of augmented reality things um, do add bandwidth and they do add um, the need for more and more uh, performance out of the networks. And we all as remote users um, are demanding more and more of it. So uh, I think there is really no, no end in sight for the demand for these sorts of services. And we're going to see the, the video analytics side of things really start to, to dominate, you know, um, managing the way we detect um, a terrorist in a city can be done through artificial intelligence and video analytics today if, if it was deployed already. Um, those tools exist and, and are maturing and getting better all the time. Uh, we might use the same tools to, um, 
to improve a shopping experience in a very positive experience kind of way, rather than talking about terrorists. You know, there's there's just so many possibilities. And in fact, the city of Melbourne's testbed is going to test out some pretty interesting early uses of 5G to just see how the networks do cope when you do put some pressure on them to deliver services like that. So, Jeff, last question, um, and, and it's kind of probably the most important one you know I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here in the office I've I've got a copy of this report in front of me now I've got pages highlighted I've written notes I've got little sticky tabs all over the place and I kind of look back and I'm and I just think whoa okay how do you even start to sort of move this forward um, now we know that 5g deployment and stuff is happening now and it's just going to keep happening but the Australian government is kind of like through this report and through the inquiry has sort of said, well, let's just sort of pause for a moment. Let's have a, let's just check in on this and let's try and sort of get some structure and order. You know, here's 14 recommendations. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty well split across some of those fundamental topics, health communi communication campaigns, research and development, you know, some really fascinating ones as well that we haven't even gotten into that we don't have time to around. Yeah, things Man like local manufacturing. <laughs> well, yeah, manufacturing of, of 5G infrastructure. So, so, so kind of what's next here? I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I, I hear examples of Dublin and Singapore and, and kind of other nations that uh, I, I won't say, I won't say they're seamlessly advancing 5G, but I, I do see and hear and read um, national commitment, um, coordination and things like that. I, I suppose my last question trying to sum all, sum all of this up now is, um, what do you think Australia's 5G future kind of looks like now with this report now on the table? Uh, yeah. Uh... Look, I, I'm not terribly convinced that this report is going to change the trajectory that the telcos are already on. Um, there, I would hope that there are a couple of things that do get dramatically improved through this process. And one of those is the telcos' ability to effectively work with local government on planning more effectively for the amenity of cities, not just mobile coverage of the cities, which is what the telcos are mostly motivated by. Um, so that, that aspect of it is getting airtime and is getting pressure from the various larger councils in Australia. And I, I really hope that that does translate into some improvements. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not that easy to influence because the telcos do have legislative power on their side. And um, that legislation was put in place a long time ago when mobile phone towers were several kilometres apart and, uh, and it, you know, this whole idea of low impact being their ability to define low impact and then say, well, we're deploying low impact things so we can do what we like. I, I'm not at all convinced that low impact stays low impact when mm. you have a high density of low impact, if you know mm. what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so there's some, there are some improvements that, that can come out of this and the report does raise some of these issues and I'm really hopeful that that does translate into a, a stronger partnership between local governments and, and the telcos because only by doing that will will the community actually get a better compromise between um, I mean 
I, I would hate to think that um, the perfect antenna location meant the removal of a couple of 100-year-old trees, <laughs> you know, yeah. for example. The city values trees enormously, and rightly so. Um, and so one has to work around that. Well, that may be more pragmatic than the telcos are used to. Um, although, I mean, I, I don't want to treat this like a, a rock-throwing exercise at the telcos because they've got a challenging job and they're doing a great job of building the network. So um, it's all a matter of just getting that balance right. And, um, and there are some issues that are raised in the report that does help to get the balance right, but only when people take it seriously and act on it. And uh, I don't think there's any particular compelling reason why people have to really act on these recommendations they're they are just that they're recommendations they're mostly good ideas um but i don't see anybody really being forced to um to to take it on well jeff um it, it's been uh, it's been an interesting conversation thanks um thanks for for joining us the for our listeners the report that we've been discussing um, is the uh, is the Australian government's recently handed down report from their inquiry into the deployment, adoption, and application of 5G in Australia from the House of Representatives, uh, available uh, available on uh, the Australian government's website. Um, Jeff Hayden from Astrolabe Group, thanks so much for joining us today on the Smart Cities Chronicles. Thanks for having me, Adam. It, feel, it feels like we've just begun. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I can imagine that uh, this is only the, 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 the start and there'll be many more to come. Um, for our listeners uh, who aren't subscribing to the Chronicles, you can do so wherever you uh, source your podcasts from. We're on multiple platforms. You can also head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com. We also like uh, to get your feedback. You can email us anytime. The email address is chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. My name is Adam Beck, host of The Chronicles. We look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Thanks for tuning in.